Welcome to Star Trek and the Jews, the monthly podcast that uses Star Trek to boldly explore the worlds of Jews and Judaism. I'm Chava. I'm Josh. And I'm Adam. Adam! Dr. Adam! It's wonderful to be here after all this time. (laughs) Adam is like a ghost on our podcast. We finally get to meet you in person! (laughs) And we actually are in person. Yes. I have... I have been hearing one side of your recordings for for a couple of years now and it's nice to hear the other side before that episode comes out of course this is almost entirely a pandemic initiative i know we we recorded two of these yeah and then we were gonna do the third one together and we were like maybe we should socially distance these (laughs) that's when we also discovered that recording not in the same place is way easier to do And yet here we are, or here they are, back uh, recording in the same place again. It's true. So, um, what's Manish Tanahalila Hazar? Well, there are a few things different uh, tonight. One is I'm here, yeah. speaking on the podcast and not just yelling things from the background that then get cut out afterwards. <laughs> or worse than cut out, have somebody take credit for what you said and then cut you out. <laughs> oh, that, that, was what, that was what was expected to happen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes me too. <laughs> okay, well, I usually gave credit where credit was due. <laughs> not, not for all those happy comments. Excuse sometimes, me. Sometimes you gave credit and I, I added your credit out. There you go! <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. on both of us. <laughs> But Adam is responsible for the majority of my happy comments, I would say, because he is good at paying attention to television much more than I am. So this is going to be our last episode for a little while. We're going to go on hiatus, which maybe, I don't, I don't know, we'll talk about what that means. But I feel like we have like a piece of work. Yeah. And, and um, this is like the pause button for now. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to have... Adam here, do some introspective, look back, self-congratulatory. <laughs> um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look at what we've learned and what we've done. Our very special reflective episode, and we watched like one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. Really? Yes. Really? Is it, is it not one of your favorites? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> so we watched the Corbomite maneuver. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one with. Um, that's the one with Clint Howard in it. You know Clint Howard? Does he play Bailey? Ba- no. Bailey? Yeah, no, Clint Howard plays the baby. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And, and he's a real that guy. Like, I'll bet if you looked him up on, on your phone, he's Ron Howard's less attractive, very right-wing brother. <laughs> but he's a real, real that guy. He's really creepy. <laughs> He doesn't play him with the mask on, just just as the baby. Do, oh. do you want to look up Clint, Clint Howard? When you sure. see his face, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Yeah. He's also, he's in Deep Space Nine in past tense. He's one of the mentally ill people in the Sanctuary District. And he's in Discovery as like a drug den Orion. Should we pause on the episode and maybe come back to that a little bit later? Sure. Adam, I understand you have some questions for us. I do, and, and thank you to everyone else who uh, who submitted questions, who sent them into the uh, to the email account. So we're just gonna <laughs> go go right back to the beginning. So, Josh, what gave you the idea for this podcast in the first place? Um, it's all I've been thinking about for like the last ten years. I I can't tell you how much like mental real estate it's taken up in my brain. <laughs> No, like for a very long time, I had in my head that one day I would write a book about Star Trek and the Jews. Really? And I don't know, a book is like a lot of work and lots (laughs) of like hurdles. This is a lot of work too. You need a lot of permissions to write a book. Um, And also, if you write a book and nobody buys it, it's actually a really big problem. Whereas if you make a podcast and nobody listens to it, which luckily has not been the case for this. Thank you, <laughs> listeners. There's there's um, more of you than I thought. Um, that's really just egg on your own face if that happens. <laughs> Plus, I, th- I felt like it was very out of the moment in 2019 to, <laughs> to start a podcast. But yeah, this is, you know, Star Trek is something I like that sits with me and that I, that I think frames like how I think about the world. <laughs> And that is also true of, of Judaism. 
And it was a good time to start a podcast about Star Trek also, and this sort of renaissance or revival of it. I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But it, it was it was a good time for it. Yeah. Um, so what, what did you set out to accomplish with uh, Star Trek and the Jews? I think there were a few different things that I wanted to do. Like, we talked in the first episode about, like, specific, we kind of set out, like, X, Y, Z things we wanted to do. There were certain big ideas in Star Trek that I felt like the Jewishness of them had not been explored in another setting. Like, I hadn't heard somebody else talk about the Ferengi and Jewish tropes in a way that satisfied me. I hadn't... People have talked about Duet and the Holocaust, and I'm sure there's other analysis out there that I haven't read or heard, but, like, I hadn't found ones that... (laughs) That, like, satisfied me. Yeah, the Women at Warp talked about it and um, Mission Log. But, like, th- those were great, but they didn't they didn't check the boxes that I was looking for. Oh, no, for. I meant so, are there that you have not read or listened oh. to? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I mean, there are, there are, like, so many Star Trek podcasts out there that it's, like, actually astonishing. And even since we've started, like, the number of Star Trek podcasts has, has really exploded. And um, I do wonder, like, of these ones that are, like... Two white guys watching Next Gen together, how many listeners do they have? Although I listen to a couple of those, so probably some. But I'm glad we had a focus for this. I, I also, I've spent like like the last literally like 20 years, like since I was like like a middle schooler, you know, in weird Star Trek message boards with increasingly <laughs> sophisticated ideas about the inner workings of Trek. And it felt like a way to, to put um, my own mark on it that, that had some more depth to it. And I also thought that a podcast would be like, it has the smallest air of officialness that anything can possibly have. Like, it is still us in our living rooms. But <laughs> but you can reach out to some interesting people and, and they will have an hour-long conversation with you about Judaism and Star Trek in a way that I probably could not have gotten many of those people to have an hour-long conversation with me about Judaism and Star Trek. Definitely. Also, yeah. it's just like a place to say your opinion. Yeah. Like, in that, in the same vein, like, you have some authority that yeah. you can be like, hello, <laughs> listen to me talk about what I think. <laughs> and, um, like, apropos of us going on hiatus, I was on parental leave... <laughs> For a, yes. for a good chunk right. of the beginning of oh, it. Oh, that's when you like came to the idea. Because when Josh had the idea to make a <laughs> podcast, he was like, Chava, I think you should be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't listen to any podcasts. <laughs> I want to go back to one thing that you, well, that you just said. That you had a lot of really interesting guests. I, I, I agree. I certainly learned a lot from your Revelert segments. I don't want to ask if you had a favorite guest because they were all wonderful, but was there a particular idea or something really surprising that you learned or a connection that one of your guests made that you really hadn't thought of before? I think I would say Rabbi Andrea. I just thought that they had a perspective that like I really had never heard before from like from a Judaism perspective. And like I feel like I've been exposed to a lot of Jewish spaces, so it was really like nice to have that fresh take. And I just learned a lot about, like, the queer community in general as well. That was also one of my favorites. I liked our duet episode a lot. And Matthew was fantastic, but, like, the real breakout star of that episode is you, Hubba. <laughs> um, because you just told, like, such a moving story. There was a special that we produced with Rabbi Freeman Cole, who's someone that I've known since I was a young child, because he was the, he's the retired senior rabbi at Batsetic. I really liked how that came out. That was one about the... Columbia disaster that actually has like hardly anything to do with Star Trek until a little bit at the end. That is mostly on him just being like an incredible writer and storyteller like usual. And then we had an episode where we had Rabbi Dove Linzer, who's the president and Rosh Yeshiva of uh, Yeshiva Chochavei Torah. And we also had Noah Averbach-Katz, who plays Rin the Andorian on Discovery. And actually like both of those interviews, I felt like I was like kicking myself after because they were thing. There were questions that I meant to ask and didn't get to, and I felt like I could have done them better. But I do think, much in the same way that I'm like a big guy who plays the ukulele because it's a little instrument, and I like the <laughs> contrast. That like 
having Rabbi Dove Linzer and Noah Averbach Katzrin the Andorian from Discovery on the same episode has a contrast that speaks to me on a very personal level that captures like the balance of I want to do something with a podcast that is really in depth, but it should also be utterly ridiculous. And, and I think the contrast there checks that box for me. Tiffany Schleen. I remember loving her segment. Mm-hmm. We had like the discussion about the tech Shabbat that we have absolutely not implemented and I keep <laughs> meaning to try to implement, but we really have not at all. But like, I still think about it very often where I'm like, wow, we should really do that. That is a brilliant idea. And like, she, she really brought that to light. It, it is something that we've discussed a lot. It would be, it would be nice. It, w- it would be nice. So are we going to do it this show, bud? Uh, it's probably going to be a no for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely going to watch Netflix. So I feel like if we did it, it would have to be like a no phones, which I think was kind of the main point, which I do see the value in and like no, no internet kind of. I seem to remember. Netflix's internet. (laughs) Well, I I seem to remember you you saying that with, uh, with Tiffany, that, that for you, TV is what is very relaxing. I mean, that's different for me. Like for me, books are what's relaxing. But and the, TV but, you watch very intensely. It's true. Yes, I, I watch TV very intensely. I'm very, very bad at binging, and I'm very, very bad at doing other things in the background during TV. I would say, though, that those make you an excellent TV watcher, though. You are it's who true. these writers are writing to. They're like, this person is just going to focus 100% <laughs> on the TV show, and they're going to put all their brain power to thinking about what's going on on the screen. <laughs> Whereas for me, I'm like... I'm like playing some stupid phone game and running after my kid. Literally (laughs) me without the kid. Unless it's new Star Trek, in which case I have to watch it three times by myself in a dark room. (laughs) Okay, let's, let's go back to the goals of the show a bit. When you started from, from your first couple episodes, your plan was to use Trek to look at serious issues in the Jewish world and religion and, and culture. And I think you've done a great job of that. You've hit quite the intersection of topics on on there. Do you feel like you accomplished that goal or are there topics that you really wish you would have covered? I feel like I really did accomplish that goal. I feel like all of the aspects of, at least all the aspects of Judaism that I really wanted to cover, I think we did. That I wanted to explore Jewish thought in relation to that and like learn about it from someone. Yeah. Those I feel like, that I really feel like we did. I feel very good about the ones that we did. There are like four or five episodes that I have in my head that didn't get produced. Many of which are because I didn't find the right guest for them. But I really wanted to do a medical ethics one. Hmm. Um, and I think we, we've we touched on that in a couple places, but we've never really committed time to it. And I really wanted to, to talk about cross-cultural adoption um, and I thought there are there like a bunch because Star Trek does that like like every 20 or 30 episodes. <laughs> um, and that could have been like a Worf episode too. But I like our social issues episodes a lot. And I think we're like, uh, they're among our strongest ones. I will say I wish we did more Israel content. I was, I was just going to say that's like something that we didn't get to. We yeah. like distinctly kind of like steered kind of clear of it, I guess, but. And I don't feel like that was a mistake. I just think also that like it maybe would have been nice to do an episode on Israel. But also, I feel like it would have been really stressful. <laughs> it would have been stressful. And it also, it's like such a big topic that it could also like be a show unto itself. It could, yeah. And yeah, it's tough to talk about. And, and yeah. I find like on Israel stuff, like my own opinions are so fluid and undefined and I've like changed radically since I was in my twenties and yeah, it's, yeah, I don't even know where I would go. And I'm, I have difficulty like delineating my emotional responses to my intellectual responses on Israel. And so I'm glad we haven't done like a deep dive one, even though I don't think we have like totally stayed off of Israel. No, we haven't. I don't think, I do think you would probably censor me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that you acknowledge that, you can't completely delineate your emotional responses from your intellectual responses already puts you in a good place to have a conversation about it or a better place than a lot of conversations start. Yeah. I liked our Columbia episode because it was a way of talking about like a moment in Israeli history and Israeli society that frankly, like didn't force me to like critically engage with Israel issues because this was 
This was looking at the space program and Elan Ramon and museums and... I, I love that segment. I, as someone who works in the space industry and for whom space has been a passion my whole life, that was uh, that was a really interesting connection to make that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. I think yeah, it would have been nice to talk about even like even if it were a personal discussion about Israel, I think it would have been interesting, like uh, just like how we feel in Jewish spaces talking about Israel and non-Jewish spaces talking about Israel. I find that that entire dynamic is quite interesting. Just like feeling like. You have to be the good Jew in both scenarios, but mm-hmm. they're, they mean different things in different scenarios. That, that's a conversation that's lost quite a bit. Like, people talk about Israel a lot. People Like, don't talk about talking talk. about Israel. Exactly. Which I think would have been interesting to talk about, because I do like talking about talking about Israel. And it's perhaps something that Star Trek would have some episodes that comment on. Yeah, it does. And there are episodes like, um, I mean... We have talked about how the Bajorans are at different times stand-ins for different peoples, including in episodes like Duet, they're a stand-in for the Jews very explicitly. But in the episode Ensign Row, where the Bajorans are introduced, they were explicitly written as a Palestinian metaphor. And yeah, there's there are others. There's an episode in Enterprise that I think is like pretty clumsy that was written about the Israel-Palestine conflict, a too. A clumsy Enterprise episode? <laughs> Um, still, the the only Enterprise episodes still that I've watched are the ones that you made me watch for Hebrew school homework, <laughs> which is not that many. I still complained about them all. Though. <laughs> um, we, we've talked about we've, we're getting into the podcast episodes. Do you have a? I mean, I know what my answer is, and I think this is the same answer as a lot of listeners. But do you two have favorite episodes of the podcast? Uh, yeah, like our our one about duet is my favorite. Is my favorite too. Um, I feel like it was a, like, cause I had to do some research for that episode, like family research. I didn't, that I had never really sat down and been like, okay, dad, I need you to tell me everything that you know. And he was like, okay, I'm going to just like talk and like, it's not going to be super cohesive and it'll ju- and I just like kind of took notes about random stuff that he came up with and I sort of had follow up questions and it was a very like. I mean, a lot of it I hadn't even known. Like, I didn't... Unfortunately, my my bubby had a stroke when I was three, so I didn't have, like, a much time with her where she was, like, talking. And obviously, also, I don't think she would have told me about Auschwitz when she was... When I was, like, a child. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, it was uh, an emotional experience for me. And definitely, I feel like it had an impact on, like my day-to-day life even like that episode did have an impact on my day-to-day life on the looking into things that I did for it as well just because like I don't know the holocaust is part of my day-to-day life I think about it at least a few times a day and so many people don't have those conversations with their family members yeah. and and that is like connected to intergenerational trauma that like lots of people don't want to talk about it and yeah I'm glad you guys talked about that yeah it was it was good to talk about my Apparently my bubby would, like, not not talk about it. Like, she was a little bit, uh, she'd be like, oh, it's so hot in here. It's like a gas chamber. Like, she would make that joke. <laughs> and my mom's there oh. like, <laughs> if you were If you were in Auschwitz, you could make that joke. Exactly. That, that if you were in Auschwitz, there's a very narrow category of people that can make that joke. <laughs> um, but, like... Yeah, so I, I think that it w- it probably would have been interesting to be around that, but and but also I think it was obviously very traumatic for my dad to be around that because like that's pretty awful. I remember leading up to that episode, there were a lot of very serious and heated conversations between us about what you felt comfortable talking about and and where you were going to go with it and what you felt was important to cover even in that episode. Mm-hmm. For me too, that almost certainly my favorite one of you have done so far. And I think a lot of the listeners would agree with that. Yeah. Although we did set out to not make a podcast about the Holocaust. No, but I, I think that like we did. We didn't though. So 24 or so episodes yeah, and, yeah. and we have like w- like one and a half Holocaust episodes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Josh, something you've mentioned before is uh, whether a show like Star Trek and the Jews should even exist. Mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate on what you mean by that a bit? Oh yeah, like I, I even early on, um, as people were finding out about this show, I would see like conversations online of people like, "There's no star, there's no religion in Star Trek. Why should there be a Star Trek in the Jews?" 
Um, really? Where'd you see that? Uh, it's popped up on, like, Twitter and Reddit and places like that. Ah! Not too much. There are not that many people talking about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I'm watching it closely, <laughs> as one does. As one does during parental leave. <laughs> I think that the new Star Trek series have leaned more into places that older series have been unwilling to go. I think that our own watchings of episodes have like revealed the extent to which no religion in Star Trek was sort of a lie that like in the original series, there's lots of religion in Star Trek that it's peppered into Berman era, nineties era Trek in ways that they felt like they could get around Gene Roddenberry's edicts, but that Gene Roddenberry's edicts didn't really make sense. And they were like shitty made up in the seventies when he was doing college campus tours. And I really like that. Like, there's just, like, background characters on Lower Decks where it's, like, a woman in a hijab that's a Starfleet uniform and a guy in, a in like, a Sikh-looking turban whose name is Arjun. He has a name now. No Keepa. I really want a Keepa. Uh, voiced by me. Please call me Mike McMahon. I'll do it. I have a very dynamic voice, I think. Um, <laughs> There's so many samples of you talking. <laughs> But yeah, I, I like that Star Trek doesn't shy away from that. And no, I feel even stronger about the fact that this show is helpful to exist. And I also think that we found that even where the writers did not set out to make any kind of comment about Jews or religion or... Morality. We were able to draw those connections and find interesting things. And sometimes Star Trek was just like a tool to have a conversation about the Jewish world. Mm -hmm. And that was helpful too, irrespective of what, even if all that stuff, Oh, there's no religion in the 24th century was true. Then I still think we could have had that interesting conversation. It reminds me of another podcast that I love called Harry Potter and the sacred text. But really what, what I draw from that podcast is you can find any theme anywhere. And if Mm -hmm. you, if you want to use something as a jumping off point for a conversation that you'll be able to do that. And I really found that to be true with what you two have done here as well. And I should say, I have, I'm not like a regular listener of that show, but I had listened to like two or three and it was part of that switch in my head of whatever Star Trek you, I Jewish idea I have should be in podcast form because I, I think their format is really good. Along those lines of Star Trek shying away or not shying away from religion. I'm going to ask, Several parts of this question. I think the answer to the first one is quite obvious. What's the most Jewish Trek series? Deep Space Nine. <laughs> That's what you said too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we that's... discussed this question before, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, I like for some reason Deep Space Nine like slipped my mind when you asked me this earlier. But yeah, Deep Space Nine. Part of the bit is because I mean, canonically in Star Trek, all of the characters in Deep Space Nine are Jewish. Every single one of them. Garrick, <laughs> uh, Odo, Dax, even like Martok is Jewish. Worf, we know, is obviously Jewish. Wayun, born Jewish, but <laughs> but he didn't know it because he's cloned, and so they don't they don't find out. Um, Kai Win, I'm sorry to say, Jewish. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Gowron, Jewish. Gal Dukat? unfortunately Jewish. Yeah, yeah actually I'm, quite, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All the Cisco's are Jewish. <laughs> even even the one who plays a priest in one episode? Even the Gentiles in Deep Space Nine, like Cassie Yates says that, that she has like a family priest. Even the Gentiles in Deep Space Nine are Jewish. <laughs> Very Jewish. <laughs> Um, what about the mirror universe of Deep Space Nine? Are, are, are they all Jewish also? Uh, yes, but um, but they write from uh, <laughs> from left to right in Hebrew in the mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the original series has a real Yiddishkeit to it because of because of Leonard Nimoy and like certain writers like David Gerald, who I really really wanted to get on our show, and I just couldn't get his attention, which is like perfectly fair if people don't want to spend an hour talking to us. David Gerald and Harlan Ellison, and like there's others who I thought like really brought a, a Jewish quality to the original series, but Deep Space Nine, it, I don't know, just like viscerally hits me as Jewish. I I feel the same way. Um, is is there, is there a most Jewish Trek episode? I mean, I feel like Duet is, but that's like not a really good choice. I feel like on this show, I have said before that something is the most Jewish episode in Star Trek. I do remember you saying that. Day of Honor was explicitly made for Yom Kippur. Yes. That was a yeah. very Jewish episode. Right. 
It is. It, it does feel like a Yom Kippur special. Um, <laughs> Milul special, yeah. I think I, I I think I stick with that one because I I think that it's like really looking at like a contemporary Jewish issue that has like religious and cultural components to it. The basic premise is like it's Klingon Yom Kippur and Belana has mixed feelings about whether or not she wants to engage in it, and and she's someone of, like, partial Klingon ancestry, and she feels, like, tied to it through her family, and there's parts of it that, like, repulse her as ancient, and her friends are, like, encouraging of it, but it's more about, like, what she thinks is right for her, and I, I think it's, like, very thoughtful, and it's, like, a fun, good episode. Agreed. And if Seven of Nine from that one episode had been the Seven of Nine for the rest of the series on that trajectory of growth... Voyager would have been a way better show because she has more character growth in those 44 minutes than in, like, the (laughs) next four years of Voyager. But then there are, what, 15 years off screen where she has lots of character growth. Yes, yes. Yeah, she's back. And I guess we'll be seeing her in a couple couple months. I'm excited. Yeah. character. We still need to watch... uh... Lower Deck season two. Yeah, I love it. It's it's so good. Is it's it? my it's my favorite of the new stuff. Stuff. Let's let's get okay. let's get into that. But first, I've 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 one more most yeah. Jewish question for okay. you. Okay. Okay. Is there? I think there are a few candidates for this one. But is is there a most Jewish Trek character? Spock <laughs> and Worf. Those were who I thought would be the two top candidates. I'd say Spock. Yeah, I don't know about Worf, but. <laughs> I'm going to just go with Spock. There is a new character in Lower Deck Season 2, and I won't spoil anything, and I'm just going to say when you get to Episode 9, <laughs> it's it's not a big part, but it's impactful. It's a new character that you meet in um, Episode 9, and it's Chava. And Wait, Chava is what? in Episode 9. Yeah. I mean, not they don't call you Chava, and, and she's a Vulcan, but um, get to episode nine of season two. You're in the show. Wow. She kind of looks like you, too. <laughs> That's creepy. Uh, she kind of dresses like you, also. <laughs> That's really creepy. Um, and, um, Doesn't she wear a Star Trek uniform? No. Well, I want you to keep an eye out for her when you get to her. It's, okay. a, it's a really fun episode. The, the back two of season one are great. Now we have to watch it. <laughs> I, I've been saying that for I a while. I know you have. Are you attempting to insult me? I merely wish for you to join me in broadening your definition of how to synthesize data. That sounds like an insult to me. Perhaps you could look to me as your confidant. In Klingon culture, they designate those who stand with one another as chadich. We are not Klingon. Nor are we Borg drones. We do not have to blindly follow orders. Logic is the beginning of wisdom, not the end. So yeah, let's get into the current state of Star Trek. A lot has changed mm-hmm. since uh, since you started this podcast. Yeah. Do you want to go through some of that? Yeah. So when, when you started, we were what? Discovery Season 2? Had that even started yet? Season 2 had aired, and Picard Season 1 had just started. I think it was just announced. You know what? It was airing because remember I left a little note in your old apartment. Oh yeah. There was like oh. all the all I opened Romulans are since wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it was my prediction for the rest. I think like two episodes had come out. Right, mm-hmm. you're right. I remember that. Okay, yeah. The difference then was like it was not clear when we started that podcast that we were really in this like new era of Star Trek and I think without attaching any kind of qualitative label we can say like whatever is happening to Star Trek we're in some new chunk of something that is as different as what came before as like 90s Berman era Trek was from like the original Mm -hmm. series animated series in the film franchise like it's its own thing with its own vibes like a lot of connective tissue to what has come before but yeah, like, like it's distinctly it has it you can spot it right away it's still track yeah yeah as would always happen with any serious fa- fandom there have been people who come out and say this is not track this is not what Trek is. What do you take of that? To me, I'm just, like, totally uninterested in it, because, like, as, like, a fundamental question, whether or not I like something has no impact on whether or not it is Star Trek, and, like, I think it's just hubris for for fans to think, like, we control what Star Trek is. Like, 
Like, I remember people being mad on the internet, oh no, about, like, Michael Burnham, in effect, like, rewrites Spock's character. And it, it is true that, like, Michael Burnham rewrites, like, the memory alpha biography of Spock. But all those original series episodes and films are, like, still on the shelf. And if you if this isn't your thing, like, your, your head canon can be whatever you want, and all those old episodes of Star Trek that you love are there again, like... Next Gen and Deep Space Nine are my Star Trek. They're the ones that, like, I think of as Star Trek for me. It's never going to be 1993 again, and it's, like, dumb for it to try to be. You just end up with, like, something soulless like the Orville. That's just not how TV's made anymore, really. What I think I like most about this new era of Trek is that it's really willing to say yes. Like, the the four soon-to-be-five... Trek shows that are out right now, they're like very different from each other tonally. They have different genres. They try different things, different paces, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. I, I don't know if you've even seen Prodigy. It's like the kids show. You're shaking your head no, but it doesn't come off on mic. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like well made and fun and different and not for me and like, great. That's <laughs> okay. I hope for somebody else, it is their Star Trek. Yeah. What I have to say to those people is shut up. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I had a similar realization about, I hate to bring this up on, on a Star Trek podcast, but about Star Wars a while back. Yeah. <laughs> it's I okay, mean, we had a guest. I, I am well aware of that. <laughs> yeah, so at least th- this is not Star Wars and the Jews, but for one minute. Um... That movie pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even care about Star Wars. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I I grew up with the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six. And to, and to me, that was always Star Wars. And when the prequels came out, I, I went and saw them in theaters. And I was still, you know, I was still a kid. And I, I enjoyed the spectacle of it and the crazy lightsaber fights and even just you know, seeing... Did you have a Darth Maul double-sided red lightsaber? I, I, I did not have any lightsabers. I, I, I did. Wow, you, yeah. you were... Cheater! You, you were... You, you were very loved as a kid. Only the Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it broke at a kid's birthday party, and I cried, and I was too old for that to have happened. I was like 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. But so I, I enjoyed the prequel trilogy in theaters, but it was never really my Star Wars, and frankly, I liked it less and less as I as I got older. I've been wondering, what are midi chlorians? But it's been brought to my attention now, and it's occurred to me that there's a whole generation of kids for whom that is their Star Wars, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. I can think that the prequels are objectively grossly inferior. And other people need to don't need to think that, even if they're wrong. Well, they might be better than the sequel series, uh, at least on how they ended. <laughs> potentially, oh, potentially, yes. I, I I won't argue with you there. Star Wars is... Um, I don't think you could make Star Wars and the Jews, because it's not as Jewish. And and on that <laughs> note, <laughs> like, Star Wars is like, a, is like Christmas. <laughs> like, it doesn't happen so very often. And that means, like, when it's episode whatever, there's a lot of pressure in the way that, like, that, like, people who celebrate Christmas feel like a lot of pressure around Christmas because it comes once a year and it's supposed to be amazing. And it's like, and like, if, if, if we have a bad Pesach, like, whatever, I'll catch you at Shavuot. <laughs> it's like, everybody can take it down a notch. There's going to be a new holiday soon. I, my views on Star Wars are not sophisticated, but I did think that Episode Nine was like a very bad movie, just as like a film. I didn't think it worked, and I think Star Wars has benefited from the move to television, where it can like slow down and tell interesting stories and go through the Hagada one page at a time. And if somebody gets mad, then see it. Shavuot. Love the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great show. Just it is. as like I, like Star Wars doesn't excite me as a franchise, but I think it's just a super well made show. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and I, I I also agree that Star Wars is not as Jewish, but I have to say there's the show Rebels, whose main characters are Ezra, Kanan, and Zeb, so there's yeah. that. And you know what? The Mandalorian is kind of Jewish, too, and he always covers his head. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> really? Why is it Jewish? 
Do you just think everything is Jewish that no, you like? No, I mean, he's a member of, like, a diaspora. And oh, that's he, true. He lives by code. And, all right, all right. Um, all right, I'll He's an outsider, it. but he's an outsider with, like, a rich tradition that binds him to the world. And, yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to Star Trek. We can, <laughs> we, we can, we can perhaps save... Uh, so say we all. <laughs> we can perhaps save The Mandalorian. And I would love to hear Battlestar Galactica on this as well. One of my favorite TV shows ever. Yes. Um, but perhaps they Star Galactica and the Jews. <laughs> Don't even get me started. I can totally do it. <laughs> but it would be a one episode miniseries, like well, the, like the two thousand and four Ronald D. Moore one. <laughs> well, it, it would hopefully be a shorter episode than that miniseries. Yes, I mean the the reason why Battlestar feels very Jewish, and then I'll stop. Is it's like create the original creator is like a super devout Mormon who made like the seventies version, and then like Ronald D. Moore. I don't think he's a practicing Catholic, but he was, like, raised very Catholic and really, like, tried to infuse the show with religion. So, like, it's just, like, drenched in religious themes. But perhaps we can save that for, uh, <laughs> in, in future seasons. I think your Purim episodes should cover other TV shows. <laughs> oh, that's such a that good idea. That would be so fun. <laughs> that would be really cute. We should do that. <laughs> But back to Star Trek for now, since it's not Purim yet. With all of these new series, and as Josh, as you said, each one of them has a very different timber to it. Do you feel like people have a better appreciation for what Trek is now that there's a much broader range of, of Trek? Yes and no. There is like an Ur-Trek in my head that is the like platonic ideal, ideal Star Trek that is only informed by me watching it when I'm 10 and it's like Jean-Luc Picard on the bridge, the Enterprise. And to the extent that like some other Treks have like uh, muddied the waters of that maybe moves people further from it. I also think there's like a degree to which every Star Trek show since Deep Space Nine is a criticism of the original series and the next generation. Like not not like saying like you're bad. Like it is like a critic it is a critical deconstruction and analysis of the Star Trek that came before it, which like carries a lot of baggage with it. Um, and it's hard to go back. And I'm very curious to see what happens in Strange New Worlds because that is saying we're going to wipe the slate clean. A captain on the ship, on the Starship Enterprise going where none have gone before, but oh, by the way, it's before almost everything you've ever seen. And so I wonder if that can be that show. There will have to be Orion's Favorites, of course, because of canon. <laughs> right. He, hopefully Pike is not going to consider a career change to be a slaver. <laughs> Hopefully not within the first uh, few minutes of the first episode. I'd go into business on regulars or in the Orion column. You, an Orion trader dealing in green animal women slaves? But the point is that this isn't the only life available. I'll, I'll bet they'll lampshade that. They'll, like, find some, some way to, like, make him not so... Well, we watched the Corbomite Maneuver today, which was, like, I thought, like, a really great one of my favorite original series episodes, but it, it has like, just like one moment of like horrific sexism that is like so glaring. And so unnecessary. Right? It's basically Kirk is just like, I hate women for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> just like Rand is like, ah, women. <laughs> oh. Well, in a similar way to how the cage has that one comment, I still can't get used to a female on the bridge or something like that. In terms of perspectives on Star Trek, like, of the public, I guess, that would kind of answer your question. Like, has the recent Trek really made it seem different from what it was? I think no. Because I think that, like, Star Trek really has a certain reputation that is pretty prominent in people's minds. And unless you're, like, a child who this is Star Trek to you because you're seeing Star Trek for the first time... I don't think that most people see that huge difference between current Star Trek, the Renaissance, and, like, Star Trek of the 90s or mm -hmm. earlier. That, that's fair. For, for me, Star Trek was not a show that I watched as a kid. Sometimes I would see the last several minutes of a Next Gen or DS9 episode while I was waiting on the Space Channel for Stargate SG-1 to come <laughs> on. I don't think I watched the full... Star Trek episode until just a little bit before Discovery started airing. And yet, even so, there was this idea in my mind of what Star Trek was. Now that I've watched Next Gen and especially Deep Space Nine, I that idea was quite 
simplistic, but it was certainly there. I think this is something that we can perhaps discuss in terms of the Corbomite maneuver, which is very much a classic Star Trek episode, and yep. not one that any modern Trek show would re- would do in, in the same sort of campy way, but I could easily see a very similar episode showing up in Discovery. Yeah. What, how do you feel about the differences in ideas or the differences in the way the shows are portrayed? This episode surprised me to watch. I think that maybe because like I've watched recently a lot of like season three Star Trek, I remember Star Trek being campier. And this episode is actually like, yes, it's made in 1966. It's very well directed, like it's well lit and sophisticated props. And I was watching the remaster, so I didn't see the original graphics, but I do kind of remember them as a kid and like seeing the Viserys on screen is daunting. There's like a crane shot on the bridge where they look down on them and then they spin around and come down to Bailey and Spock. And I thought like that could have been a scene that Jonathan Frakes directed in Discovery and that would make me feel dizzy. <laughs> like there are episodes like um, the one on Discovery in the first season where they have that vibrating tower that they're trying to on Pavlo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Lower Decks has been good with with these two and that lower decks because it's 22 minutes in animated and they spend half of the episode doing jokes. They actually can tell kind of a simple story. Whereas, um, discovery is like very plotty and a lot of like a lot of drama between the characters that, that I don't think they can do that same kind of thing. But like the ethos of this episode has carried through all of Trek. And I think it is, like you said, like this is an example of what, Star Trek thinks of itself as are like the values that, that like Kirk says in his Kirk speeches in this episode. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Clava? Yeah, I think, I I mean, I agree with you. I think that this episode is extremely Star Trek and is not so dissimilar. I find from discovery. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I, I agree with what you said that I think that the main difference now I mean, aside from the special effects, is the, like, interpersonal stuff. Like, I think the interpersonal relationships on Star Trek Mm -hmm. have, like, vast, like, drastically developed and are just much more sophisticated now. This episode feels so lived in. Like, there is, like, Spock is, like, making fun of Bailey a little bit. And McCoy criticizes Kirk for promoting Bailey too quickly when he like hasn't had enough experience yet. And they think he he's like going to burn out. And it's like, that would have been such an interesting thing if we had actually seen that development and not just been just told it about a character who we never see again. Yeah. I was surprised even to hear that one line in, in a show where the characters were not supposed to disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think true. that, that the characters don't disagree is a, Gene Roddenberry made up in yes. the 70s value oh, that, that oh, isn't, okay. doesn't really exist in the original series, but uh. but was, like, dogmatic on Next Gen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like the episode a lot. I thought it was... Let's go into it. One thing that does make me think of how it could maybe show up on Lower Decks was every time near the beginning, and this is only because this came out in the 60s, but where they cut to the view screen with the spinning cube and play the very dramatic music, <laughs> Kava and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> Every single time. Every time. <laughs> but it sort of plays into that because Baylock has a mask. Like, he mm-hmm. knows that he's ridiculous and actually he's a little baby Clint Howard drinking Tronya and ha ha ha! And it's all like just um, a smokescreen. I mean, it's a smokescreen, but it's also like they are powerful, so. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I think there's um, a real line between this episode and encounter at Farpoint, like the next gen premiere. I mean, part mm-hmm. of it is that they're being chased by like a, like a weird gumball thing. Um, but, but Q has like a similar test with them. He's more villainous than, than Baylock ends up being. But I, I think yeah. like a little bit of Trelane in there too. There's a little religion piece in this one too. He, Baylock says, um, 
Your recorder marker has been destroyed. You have been examined. Your ship must be destroyed. We make assumption you have a deity or deities or some such beliefs which comfort you. We therefore grant you ten earth time periods known as minutes to make your preparations. And I think it is worth pointing out that in 1966, it probably was not cliche to say we therefore grant you ten of your earth time periods known as minutes. And that that's only funny because like Futurama and a thousand other people have made fun of this iconic episode <laughs> but yeah he's like uh, I was gonna kill you right now but because we think you may need to like square up with your gods with your deities take a, take a breath and, and let's let's kill you soon ten minutes ten of your earth minutes it's, it's enough time to get through the schma is that what you're supposed to do if death is like imminent I don't know um What's the... Well, you're supposed to say the, sh- the Shema the day you die. Right, uh, and there's... Um... You're supposed to say the Shema every day. Well, th- but that's why. Because you're supposed to say it the day you die, and you or the night before you die, perhaps. I forget which one it is. But you don't, and you don't know what day that's going to be, therefore you say it every day. Pirkei has the same thing with, like, Shuva, where it's like you have to... Uh, you only need to make shuva before you die, but you don't know when you're gonna die, so you better you better be making it on a rolling basis. <laughs> so we, we've come back around to Judaism, which is we we spoke about Star Trek for a while. So let's ask the other questions. What's changed about Judaism since you started this podcast? Because I think there has been a big shift. I mean, a, a, a lot of that because of the COVID pandemic. So yeah. what's changed? I think. Uh... I think Black Lives Matter uh, really made a big change in the Jewish community because it really shined a light on the racial problems that we have within the Jewish community. And there was a lot of discussion around that. And I think that is pretty substantial change that like I've observed, at least in synagogues, I think people are more sensitive to that. I have difficulty answering this question without divorcing from my personal experiences I feel like quite disconnected from my own Jewish community and part of this is because like it's a pandemic and six months ago I started a new job that like consumes my life and I have a almost three-year-old and one on the way which hey podcast Leah's pregnant but yeah I feel like quite disengaged from my shul but I I also it's interesting that you mentioned Black Lives Matters because I have been thinking about my shul with like a kind of class awareness that I don't think I really applied to it before. And I'm like kind of having some challenges and uh, I, I haven't been like doing a lot of shul stuff lately and I'm not sure when I will again. And, and I feel like very disconnected from like the institutions of Jewish life in Toronto. But again, that feels like very personal to me. <laughs> These are me things and not really Jewish things and I, I'm not sure like the last two years have like had just like in the scheme of of 3,000 years of Jewish history I, I I don't know if I would be like projecting to say that these are like trends or whatever except that the Jewish world does change fast. I really think that the Black Lives Matter was a big change maybe not in every Jewish community but I do think in a lot of them it is and mm-hmm. even if it's like causing you to have some of these types of thoughts that you're that you're describing yeah. as personal. I don't actually think that's personal. I think that a lot of Jews are having a lot of thoughts like that about their communities. Yeah. So I think that is like part of the trend that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe changing your perspective or having like a new sort of criticism that you feel about the Jewish community that you're a part of. Yeah. Maybe this is like the disconnection of the pandemic. I feel that like like many of my strong political views have crystallized and polarized over the pandemic like i can see it happening to me and in ways that probably would not make our listeners cringe and probably are in line with the the, like lefty beliefs that i have of like really like entrenched themselves in me and and maybe that has to do with like living in my own little world and not going out into the universe and having to interact with lots of different people but it's hard for me to even say where the jewish community is because i feel like outside of our podcast i've had so little broader interaction with the Jewish world in the last year. And, and the interactions that I have have become very like micro, like, like my family and my close friends and, and those still have like a Jewish character to them. But yeah. Yeah. I think my like friends in general are pretty like Jewishly diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is like interesting to watch. Yeah. I kind of keep tabs on a lot of different communities that way. But in general, I find that even just on Twitter, I can, 
I can see a lot that's going on in the Jewish community. Yeah. Although Twitter is a weird window too, because that's true. I think like Twitter is like colored in a very particular way. I also think that like maybe not in the last two years, but I do think it's like fairly recent that views on Israel are shifting mm-hmm. like much more so than they ever have before. And I think it's because like millennials are really uh, starting to take the stage of like the Jewish community. Yeah, and there there's a big divide now. I don't know. I, I feel like 10 years ago they were fringe voices and now like the mainstream institutions can't deal with like having a core constituency that it's not even just like there are people who have views that are offside of the mainstream Jewish community, but then I think there's an even bigger cohort that has nuanced enough feelings about Israel that they become like ambivalent to it and they don't want to like have their synagogue moonlight as a Hasbara activity. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's true, definitely. Like, I think that the Jewish opinion is more nuanced on Israel than it has been ever before. And I think there's a reckoning coming on that because funders of the Jewish community, and then the Jewish community is driven by, by people collecting free services from billionaires, right? Yeah. Like, not just billionaires, but, but large funders are driving the infrastructure of the Jewish community and they re- they care about like what they call like Jewish continuity and engagement they want like young Jewish people families teens whatever doing Jewish stuff and they care about Israel and it's going to be harder and harder for funders to reconcile those two and that's not my problem they can deal with it on their own well exactly that's that's kind of what i meant by like the millennials and they're like the next generation is really taking taking the stage of like what the jewish voice is and it doesn't really matter what the boomers think anymore even if they're the funders like they just won't have a jewish community if they don't sort of change the view and uh, consider the opinion of younger people. L- luckily, we in Canada will have the opportunity to have some reflection because this is coming to a head right now in the States and it's not coming to a head in, in Canada yet because the Canadian Jewish community is more pro-Israel than the American Jewish community. I think we're just milder in every way. <laughs> Our arguments also come generally a few years after the equivalent American argument. Right, yeah. You've spent many episodes talking about what Star Trek teaches us about Judaism. I want to ask you now the converse. Can Judaism teach us anything about Star Trek? I think that fandom has undergone a shift, a Haskalah of sorts, (laughs) that I think has been really helpful for it. And that it's okay for the people who 30 years ago you would have thought of as Star Trek fans and that are, you know, memorizing the... uh, the master system display and telling you how many photon torpedoes an Akira class has or whatever. And that there's this like whole new world of like really critical, engaged feminist, just like a very inclusive fandom that I think is like getting broader and broader. And I think discovery is really helping with it because like, holy shit, discovery is so progressive. Like they really, they really walk the walk. I think it's like just brought a great new for all the toxicity that's come with Discovery, crappy fans. I think it's like brought all these like amazing new fans in and the like big tent view of it. Last month I interviewed Chava de Cordova. She runs a, a like queer Talmud podcast and um, has done like a lot of like queer Talmud teaching also. And, and you know, mm-hmm. she talked about this approach in the queer Talmud world of like, which I think is like true, like a broader rabbinic Judaism as well of like, you can add as much new interpretation as you want, but you can't discard what's there. Like you are only building in one direction and you have this like duty to keep learning the stuff that was there, even when it's like boring or repulsive. And I think that that is like a really interesting way to think about Star Trek and, and Star Trek fans kind of do that too. Like we Hmm. know that, we know the clankers and, and and we know them like pretty well. It's true. It's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, if this podcast has taught me anything, I think that like ideas in Judaism have informed many of the Star Trek storylines. Mm-hmm. So whether I think that they can learn anything, I think they already do. With Michael Shavon running one of the shows, there's there's got to be some Judaism there. Yeah. I, I mean, Picard's season one is very Jewish. Mm-hmm. I, I 
There's been a draft email sitting in my draft folder for like a year of me wanting to invite Michael Shabon onto the show, and yeah, I haven't hit send on that. And if we, if and when we're back, I I would love to talk to him because um, yeah, That'd I just think he has such interesting views, and um, there's a couple people, you know, like I'm not dying to do like a. Alex Kurtzman interview or a J.J. Abrams interview, and that's not a knock against any of their work. It's just that I've not seen any writings or interviews of, with either of them where they kind of talk or think critically about their, like, Jewishness. But I I would love to have Michael Shabon, and I would love to have Akiva Goldsman, who is one of the showrunners on the forthcoming uh, Strange New Worlds and was also involved in Picard. And I think that Akiva Goldsman gets thought of as like a schlock writer because he has written some schlocky films um, but I actually think he's like very a very thoughtful and insightful person and uh, I'd love to have a conversation with him one day if you're listening <laughs> we we have a couple of listeners who um who work on Star Trek and so thank you guys we appreciate it okay Josh and have a speed round if you were casting Star Trek shows from characters in in Jewish lore and, and also and also in Jewish history like Mm-hmm. rabbis and whatnot, who would play Picard? Moses. Josh Molina. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, Cisco. Moses. <laughs> Moshe Dayan. <laughs> but Cisco is Moses, right? No, Chava's right. <laughs> And, he really and, is the most. And Martok is Moshe Dayan because he only has one eye. Of course. And, right. <laughs> okay, who would play Q? The Satan. Does uh, the Satan count? Yes, yeah, the Satan. Who would play Spock and you can't say Leonard Nimoy? Uh, Maimonides. It's <laughs> a fair choice. Kira Norris. Uh, what's the one that chops the hair, Yael? Um, I can't beat that. <laughs> can I? Can I say the... The lady from one of the Maccabees books that's a knockoff of Yell. Sure. No. <laughs> Neelix. Neelix. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need a minute. These are these are tricky. Um I don't have one because I I've mathed it out and Neelix is like canonically a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Well, there's no way oh, to cast. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is gross. <laughs> I haven't watched enough of Voyager to know, but don't don't sense. do the math on that relationship. And I just the writer screwed it up. <laughs> okay, two more, and I, I think these are the the harder ones. Okay, Quark, the Golem. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> I have, like, an ideal type in my head that is not a specific person, but is, like, the... <laughs> but this just speaks to how drenched Quark is in media stereotypes of Jews, even when unintentional. I have another one. George Costanza. <laughs> Good answer. Wait, is George Jewish? No, I don't well, care. No, I do think George... How could George be a Gentile? It's, it's not possible. <laughs> Look at it's his not parents. possible. It's, they, they couldn't they be... They could not be they, It's Gentiles. NBC in the 90s, and they had to play around with it a little, but they can't be Gentiles. But, I mean, Costanza's not... Uh... I know, but look at his parents. Look at them. Are, look at him. Those are not Gentiles. No, they're not. I know a Jew when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, last one, because I have to pick someone from the new series. Who would play Emperor Giorgio? Raish Lakish. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you really hate that character because of how they decide to downplay the genocide. Yes. Yeah, she's like a murderer. Are there any mass murderers in Judaism who have a redemption arc? Character that Maybe they all David. Have it? Yeah, true. David. <laughs> As you were saying that, I was like... <laughs> yep, that, that's fair. I mean, not the cannibalism, but... <laughs> Maybe not cannibalism, but genocide? Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I'm with Chava. Well, that was the, all the questions that, uh, that I had for you. Uh, I have a question for you. Did you find uh, an Afikoman? Did I find an Afikoman? In the Corbamite maneuver. And I didn't come up with this one for her. (laughs) Yeah, but we did discuss it together in the car earlier today. The Corbamite maneuver is such a Star Trek episode in an intangible, though also tangible, uh, way. And it's sort of how many Jewish things are not so Jewish things, but like 
feel like they're Jewish things. Mm. At least to me. And I find that when I'm in shul, uh, the comfort of knowing what to expect exactly and like the regularness of like chants and prayers is very soothing. And I felt very, very similarly about the Corbomite maneuver. We were watching it and I was just like, this, I know exactly what's going to happen. And like, I feel like there are no surprises here. It's like just classic track and I'm, I'm going to be satisfied by what happens in it, but like still great in the same way. And it's, uh, it's, it's just such a trekky Trek episode and it's exactly what you're there for and get it what you want out of it. I love it. Afi Coleman. <laughs> Josh, do you have one? Yeah. Um, this has one of my favorite lines in Star Trek. Kirk says, There is no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. And I don't know if that's really Jewish, but I think that those are words to live by. That, like, everything can be understood, and we just need to put our minds towards it. I think there are like great Jewish thinkers who would have thought something like that. You know, someone like Maimonides who thought like really the whole purpose of Jewish law is to enrich the soul and that the soul is enriched by Torah in the same way that it's enriched by answering questions about the nature of the universe. Hence why he was also like a, had a side hustle as an astronomer and scientist and physician and I also think that there are parts of Judaism that would not gel with that and that like the greatness of the unknown carries a lot of weight in Judaism. But, but for me, like, no, I, I put myself firmly in the camp of like, there is an answer to everything. We might not have it. It might not be possible to get it in our lifetime. There is only the temporarily hidden. That's why I love this episode. Love it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but that is a season wrap on Star Trek and the Jews. I am not going to assign a Hebrew school homework, um, but I will make sure that that gets out into the world at the appropriate time. I want to say thank you to absolutely everyone who committed their time, expertise, and creativity to making Star Trek and the Jews happen. Just one moment, Josh. Before you give your thank yous, I, I want to say on behalf of thousands of listeners who I definitely shouldn't speak for, a huge thanks to you, Josh and Kava, for all the effort you've put into this podcast season over the past two years. I know you didn't want this episode to be too self-congratulatory, but I'm hoping that my saying this and then forcing you to put it in the episode will get around that issue. And one more thing, I've prepared a little surprise for you in recognition of this ending, but I think I'll save it until the actual end. So listeners, stick around for another couple minutes, and Josh, take it away with your thank yous. First among them, you, Chava. Oh, thanks. I want to say thank you to Rabbi Steve Wernick, Rabbi Andrea Myers, Rabbi Mamon Maman, soon-to-be Rabbi Aaron Rotenberg, Rabbi Jen Gorman, Rabbi Baruch Freeman Cole, Rabbi Dov Linzer, Lex Rothberg, who doesn't like to be called a rabbi, but he is one, <laughs> Sonia Ballantine, Kyle Sullivan, Krista Whitney, and the Wexler Oral History Project of the Yiddish Book Center, Jonathan Branfman, Dan Liebenson, Benjamin R. Harrison, Benjamin Allenbeck, Sarit Silverman, Genevieve Cohen, Matthew Scheuchet, Tiffany Schlein, Anami Paul, Noah Averbach-Katz, Tema Smith, Laura I Laird, Yakov Fruchter, Maxine Lee, Uischek, David Svi Kalman, Heidi Rabinowitz, Glenn Howman, Aaron Rosenberg, Keith the Candido, Jody Block, Naomi Kramer, Trillian Atwood, and the Jewish Museum of Maryland, Leah Mauer, Chava de Cordova, Larry Nemechek, and uh, the one and only arranger of our opening fanfare and our co-host for today, Dr. Adam Snyderman. And thank you to thousands and thousands of listeners in over 50 countries. Let's see what's out there. We love you. Last but certainly not least, we have to thank Josh, because Josh is the mastermind brain behind all of this, and he's done an amazing job with the creative outlook of the podcast, and he's produced everything, and he's just he's just done a fantastic job. So thank you, Josh, for having put this all together and also accommodating all my schedules. 
So it's coming at the end of a shul service to finish off with a song, and I thought we could end with a traditional Jewish song here. I'd like to thank cantorial soloist Lindy Rivers from Holy Blossom Temple in Toronto for helping me prepare this and for lending her voice to it. Our closing song today will be Adon Olam. Yeah.